morning. Welcome to Bishop View Church. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here. If this is your first time with us, welcome. It's our first weekend of two Sunday morning services at the 9 a.m. service. It's great to see all of you out there this morning. Feels good. This is great. Um, we are going to be in the book of First Samuel, so go ahead and turn there. We are in our Advent series, our second week of our Advent series. We were in Judges last week. We talked about Samson, one of the judges, the last one of the last judges there. And now we're moving into 1 Samuel. Samuel was recognized as a judge, but also as a priest. Um, but he was kind of the last of the judges, um, but kind of moved us into a whole new era and leadership of Israel where um, God really gave the people of Israel what they wanted not necessarily what they needed. The people of Israel looked at all the other people groups around them and all the other people groups around them had kings and they wanted a king. But God's intentions were that God would be their king, that they would look to him for leadership, that they would they would bow and, and surrender their lives to him. But but they wanted a king, a man king, someone they could see, somebody they could hear in person and and God uh, gives them what they want. And what we see after that is just a hot mess. None of it works out well for them. Um, God's plan for us is the best plan for us. But oftentimes, God will give us what we want in order to show us what we truly need. So uh, exciting as we jump into this. I'm really excited to talk about uh, Samuel's birth. It's a miraculous birth, just like Samson's birth was as well. Um, a couple things before we jump into that. Uh, last night, we had a Reflect ministry, which is our outreach ministry. Reflect exists to reflect God's love in practical, tangible ways. Um, last night, we were up at the tree lighting in North Canada. We gave away nearly a thousand cups of hot chocolate last night to our community, showing God's love in practical way there. Um, so just really exciting that we can do that in our community. Just want to report back and let you know that that was going on. In the book of the Hebrew Bible, like they shared there, um, First and Second Samuel is actually one book. Um, if you go back into the Septuagint, that's actually First Samuel and Second Samuel is actually First Kings, Second Kings, and then First Kings and Second Kings is Third and Fourth Kings, but. Um, it's really interesting if you were to sit down and read both of those books and then First and Second Kings together, all the information you gather, the history that there is really, really powerful. I just encourage you to do that in your time. But just remember, this is not what God wanted. Uh, God wanted to lead his people, um, but he's giving them what they want. So um, Samuel, Samuel's kind of that transitional person. Uh, like I just talked about, that it's transition from the judges to the kings. And we're going to see all kinds of shifts and different things as we look into this. So just keep that in mind. Uh, let's pray before we read God's word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could come and worship you this morning. We thank you for the advent of Jesus Christ, your son. God, we thank you that you so loved us that you sent your only son. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made, the greatest sacrifice ever made. This morning, Lord, as we look into your word, God, we pray that you would change our hearts. God, that your Holy Spirit would do what only you can do, change our minds and change our hearts and grow us in the knowledge of who you are and what you've done and what you want to do in and through our lives. Lord, we surrender to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. 
First thing we'll start in verse 1. Read this story here. There was a certain man of Ramathame, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, and the son of Jerome, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, as I'm reading this, you might have picked up on that Elkanah had two wives. It was not unusual for men to take on a second wife if his first wife was not able to bear him a son back in these times. It also shows us how far God's people had strayed from God's commands. Uh, Polygamy was never endorsed by God here in this time. And so they are being disobedient to God in so doing that. But it had become so common uh, that many men whose wives could not bear them a son, they would find another wife. Pick it up in verse 3. It says, Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. Stop there for just a second. Some interesting things. As we see how far God's people had strayed from his commands, from his law, we also see here that Elkanah uh, is a man who does love the Lord. Uh, even though he's being disobedient in one area, he is being obedient in others. He's going and making sacrifices to the Lord of hosts. It's interesting that Samuel uses this language, Lord of hosts. It's the first time that that, that name of God is used. It means hosts of angel armies, conquering king, Lord of hosts. It'll be used again more often. It says at Shiloh. Now Shiloh is where the tabernacle was. Um, back in these times, the tabernacle was just basically a tent. It was mobile. It could be moved. It was small, and um, it could be moved anywhere as the Israelites moved around. So let's pick it up. It says, at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, but the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. You might want to make note of that. This went on year after year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant... But will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Now, as I read that, razor shall touch, no razor shall touch his head. That may uh, bring back a memory from last week when we talked about Samson. This is referring to the Nazarite vow that Samson had as well, that he would live in service to the Lord. If you want to know more about the Nazarite vow, just check out last week's sermon. But we'll pick it up again in verse 12. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. 
Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a, a three-year-old bull to Ephah, of flour and of skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. God's word for us today. The first thing I, I, I want to pull out of this text is this, and it's the first spelling in your notes. Take your burdens to the Lord in prayer. Take your burdens to the Lord in prayer. My heart breaks for Hannah here. Can you imagine just the, the pain and suffering that she is going through? I mean, it's, it's hard enough to not be able to have children when you really, really want to have children. But then to have this woman beside you just berating you and harassing you and trying to make you feel horrible for not being able to have kids. The heartbreak that we see here is just amazing. I mean, I see her and it's just, my heart just breaks for her. We see her in the temple or, or the church and she's before the Lord crying out in such suffering, such gut-wrenching pain that she can't even make a sound. It looks like she's drunk to the priest. This is that, that ugly cry, right? It's the snot and tears, uncontrollable weeping. There's not enough tissue. There's no mistaking it. As we read this text, we read this account, that God allows some of the most difficult and painful things or circumstances that we can imagine into our lives. It says here that God closed her womb. And the pain and suffering God had closed from she she didn't know it, but God was preparing her for a miracle. God was preparing her for the birth of Samuel, who would be one of the most remarkable men in all of the Old Testament. God 
even says about Samuel, I think I have it here. I don't want to get ahead of myself. He says that even if Moses and Samuel appeared to me right now asking for mercy for this people, I would not give mercy to these people. God himself ranks Samuel up in the ranks of Moses, who's one of the most recognized, remembered, revered Old Testament people. So God is preparing her. She doesn't know this, though. She doesn't know that God's about to work a miracle in her life, that God's going to bring Samuel through her for God's people. She doesn't know that, but God's going to do it. And it's in those moments, right? It's in that time where we're just looking at things, and it's in that ugly weeping, just ugly crying before the Lord. God, what are you doing? I don't understand what you're doing that God is up to something, probably something far beyond anything we can imagine. This is one of those, what I like to call holy tensions, holy tension that we live in. God is loving and kind. He's all powerful and just. He's all knowing and, and works his will and his way in our lives. And yet there are things in our lives that hurt that break us and that bring us to our knees. These things don't seem loving and they don't seem right. But God works in and through some of the most horrific circumstances and experiences that we have. In the context of suffering, Romans chapter 8 says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we did not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Doesn't that sound like what Hannah was doing? Groanings too deep, too hurtful, too difficult for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We're in Romans 8, starting in 26. Here we're in verse 28 if you're following along. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he's justified, he also glorified. Man, isn't that good news? What that means is before time began, before anything was created, before he said, let there be light and there was light, he knew your name. He knew the moment that you would be conceived. He knew what you would do. All the good things that you would achieve, all the failures and weaknesses that you would have, he knew all of those things. And he has a plan. He's, he's, not, he's not up there on a cloud playing some harp, looking down, rolling the dice, wondering what will happen. Before time began, he knew us. He predestined us. He called us. And eventually he will, we will be glorified, taken into heaven. We will be with him. We don't know what God is going to do with our suffering or our pain. God uses this miracle 
in Hannah's life to bring Samuel into the world. He becomes one of the most respected leaders in all of Israel's history. We don't know the end, but God does. And he has a plan. So, so what do we do? What do we do when we are in that that holy tension of a good God that has the power to do whatever he wants, but allows the consequences of the sin in this world to be devastating to us. What do we do? We do what Hannah did. We take our burdens to the Lord in prayer. And sometimes, sometimes for us, it's that ugly, ugly cry prayer with snot and tears and uncontrollable weeping. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay. God is at work. He never leaves our sign. And Jesus modeled that ugly cry for us. There's an entire verse of Scripture dedicated to it. One verse. Two words, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He mourned the loss of Lazarus. Even though he was going to raise him from the dead. We serve a God, we're in relationship with a God who knows our our pain. Who knows our suffering. As I prepare sermons, it's interesting that God God does things in my life as I'm preaching. I'm like, Lord, just let me preach this. I don't want to experience this. I'm just being honest with you, right? And I'm not a crier. I'm not, I'm not like super emotional. You know, I'm just like, you know, get over it, kid. Let's do this. I had to put my dog down this past week. And I am telling you, as I'm holding Ella in my arms and they're putting her to sleep, it was an ugly, uncontrollable, snotty cry. You know, as the vet looks at me and says, are you ready? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm ready. No problem. You know, she's had a great life. You know, this is praise the Lord, you know, and then right. We all have those times and those moments in our lives. None of us, none of us are exempt But God is with us. And I I don't know what you're going through, but I know this. That God knows suffering. He knows pain. He knows loss. And He is with you right now. He will never, ever leave your side. God loves you. Now there's another thing we can take away from this story of Samuel's miraculous birth. And it's this, the second fill in your notes, it's this, don't go alone. Don't go alone. Oh my goodness. This is so important. Hannah goes to church. That's what she does. She goes to church. She goes to the priest at the temple. And Eli was there. He was the priest overseeing all that went on in the temple. It says, Eli observed her mouth, but she was speaking from her heart, not using words. And Eli thought she was drunk. She was so distraught. Eli was the priest. This was the spiritual leader and the guide. He would oversee the work of the temple, but also the priest would intercede for the people. They were the only ones allowed into the Holy of Holies. They were the ones, they were in between the people and God. They were the ones that were, were right in there. Today, 
all of us who have surrendered our lives to Christ, we don't, we don't have to have a priest to go to the Holy of Holies. In fact, like Jesse was saying during worship, the Holy Spirit God lives in the heart of every believer. The Holy of Holies is right here in your heart if you've given your life to Christ. We don't have to go to a priest. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We are all called into communion with God and community with other believers. We all need friends. Not just the how's the weather kind of friends. We need the hold you accountable, real life issues, tough stuff friends who know our garbage and love us anyways. You have to have someone in your life who can who you can sound crazy in front of. Right? Who you can just say what's going on, say what's really going on down deep in your heart and just be honest with them. Somebody that you can ugly cry with, right? Somebody you can get out the Kleenex with. You have to have someone who sees the good, the bad, and the ugly with you. This may be one of the most difficult parts of Christianity. We say it over and over and over again here at Mission View Church. The phrase, one another, in the New Testament and all throughout Scripture is unavoidable. It is expected by God that we would live out our lives in relationship with one another. And when the Bible talks about this one another relationship, it's not talking about the how's the weather kind of friends. It's talking about confessing our sins to one another, to praying for one another through the most difficult parts of our lives together. It is about doing life together. This is not some maybe. This is not just some sometime. This is an expectation that God has for his people. If we are to be the people that God has called us to be, we have to live out our lives in deep, real relationship with one another. And this is terrifying because I love How's the Weather, friends, but I'm a little terrified of vulnerability. Anybody with me here? Can we be honest in church today? That's terrifying, isn't it? I don't want everybody to know the skeletons in my closet. I don't want to know. I don't want everybody to know the struggles that, you know, I'm having in my life. But it's not everyone. It's those people that God brings into your life that have spiritual maturity, that are, you know, pursuing Christ and his righteousness. And they come alongside you and they have those hard conversations. I mean, vulnerability is like a curse word today. Everybody just stays home and it gets on Twitter and says whatever they want. There's no real relationship. There's no real vulnerability. There's no accountability. It's all on social media and there's no depth to it whatsoever. God is calling us to something so much better. It is real relationship. Not just in those times where we're struggling and we're going through the difficult things, although that's what we're talking about today, but it's in those times that things are going great, where people can celebrate with you, and they can come to your kid's basketball game and high-five you when they hit the three-pointer. It's real life and doing life together. Don't go alone. She was deeply distressed. Hannah was deeply distressed. She wept bitterly. She wanted one thing. One thing. She wanted a son. 
She makes this vow with the Lord. She said, as long as he lives, he will live in the service of the Lord. He is lent to the Lord. This is huge. Think about that one thing. One thing you want. What is it? What is it that? Just said, just had that. Is it a spouse? Is it a happy marriage? Is it a child? Whatever that may be. Hannah gave him to the Lord. That one thing. I mean, I just, Lord, just that one thing. If you'll give this to me. As soon as he was weaned, he was in the service of God and left at the temple with Eli. She would not raise him. Elkanah would not raise him. He would be raised in the temple in the service of God. Wow, what in the world? That's wild. That leads us into the third point. The last point today is this. God calls us to a heart undivided. God calls us to a heart undivided. I think of the things that I've cried out to the Lord for, the things that I thought I so desperately needed that I would do anything to get them. I think about the most valuable things to me, the things closest to my heart. And how, I don't know about you, but those kinds of things, I ensure those things and I protect those things. I pray about those things. I constantly think about those things. Sometimes I get anxious about those things. I worry about those things. And to be able to hand that over to the Lord is, I'm going to say, miraculous. I think it's miraculous. I don't know that in the human makeup, in how we are mentally, that we can actually, in and of our own strength, take those things that we so love and so value and just hand them over to the Lord. I think this is miraculous. Elkanah and Hannah gave their son and he changed the course of a nation. And I think about this, the things in my life, I think about my son. I don't think I could do it. I'm just being honest. Right? We look at this and we're like, oh yes, I give, I surrender all to you. Lord. We sing the song, I surrender all. We, you know, say these things. It's, that sounds great, super spiritual and wonderful and everything. But in real life, what? Like, I don't know. Like, I, I'm just being honest. I, I don't think I can do that. We can't. God has to step in. God has to miraculously, supernaturally step into our hearts, in our lives, and start prying our fingers away from those things that we are holding on to so tightly that, they, you know, our knuckles are just so white that we're just holding on to them so tightly. Every single one of us in here right now and everyone watching online right now, they know that there's these things in our lives that we're holding on to so tightly that it's destroying us. Those things that we prayed for over and over and over again and all these things, these different things, and God gives us these things, and then we hold on to them so tightly 
that we're dealing with anxiety and we're on medication for and we have worry all the time and it keeps us up at night and we can't sleep and we have ulcers and we have all these different things because we're holding on to things that were never meant to be squeezed to death. We all, like Hannah, need God to step into our lives and do a work that He, only He, can do and release Release that thing. You know, Elkanah and Hannah gave their their only son to the Lord. And what a beautiful picture that is for us. That we would give all that we have, all that we deeply desire to the Lord. But there's another father who gave his only son. And that's God. For God so loved you and me that he gave his only son as a sacrifice, as a substitute. Jesus would live the perfect life that you and I can't live. And then he died the sinner's death that you and I deserve. God gave us everything. Hannah gave God everything. And God is saying to us, give me everything. Will you give God everything today? God calls us to give everything that we would have an undivided heart. So my question for you this morning is, is your heart divided? Here are some questions that may help answer that question. Are you anxious or worried about something consistently? Is there something that bothers you that keeps you up at night? Do you think about something, this something, or maybe this someone all the time? What is most important to you? If Jesus were to come down and sit beside you as you're balancing your checkbook or checking account and making out your calendar, what would, what would you be embarrassed about? Do we have a divided heart? And I think the truth, that if we're going to answer that honestly, we, we all do. There's parts of our hearts that we're not letting go of, that we need to relinquish to the Lord. And this Advent season, as we're preparing to celebrate Christ's Advent, the coming of Jesus, what a wonderful time it is for us to reevaluate these things and pray that God would do that work in our hearts. Amen? That we would be like Hannah. That we would be like the Lord who gave his only son for us. God is calling us to hand over those things. Let's be that kind of church, that kind of people for Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We just thank you for what you did in Hannah's life. She didn't know it. She was in such great suffering and such deep grief, Lord, that she couldn't even speak. She didn't know it, but you were working a miracle all along. God, we just thank you for that, that nothing surprises you, that you work all things together for good for those who are called according to your purposes. Lord, we surrender our lives to you today, God. Open our eyes to those things that we're holding on to too tightly, that we would be willing to hand those over to you. Give us the strength, Lord. Give us the courage. Only you can do it, Father. Work that miracle in our hearts and in our lives today as we 
prepare to celebrate Jesus' coming and that great gift that you gave your son. Father, come and have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said earlier, I don't, I don't know what you're going through, but you may be going through something really difficult. Uh, after the, the song that we sing here, we're going to have some prayer people up here. Uh, come forward, receive prayer. We want to walk with you through the difficult things in life. Don't leave here today without getting prayer. We want to pray with you. But let's stand and sing this closing song.